This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, with snow hitting the Magnolia State, we talk to the National Weather Service about how long residents can expect wintry weather. Then the health department expands vaccination sites in the continuing fight to lower transmission of the coronavirus. Plus, after assuming leadership of the Department of Corrections last summer, Commissioner Burl Kane discusses his first months on the job. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A wintry mix of rain and snow is making its way across Mississippi, causing a number of school closures and winter weather advisories. Some parts of the state have seen more than an inch of snow. For more on the system and how long residents can expect these conditions, we turn to meteorologist John Moore, who joins us now from the National Weather Service in Jackson. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you this morning? I am fine and dry, and uh, I'm wondering what's going on. In, I know in the Jackson area and western Mississippi, this system is sort of moved through or about to move through. Who is at risk now? That's correct. It's kind of tapering off from the west, uh, from Vicksburg and the Vicksburg area along the Mississippi River. It's beginning to taper off. And we could see some flurries in the Jackson area and the Jackson metro the next hour or so. But we are seeing some pretty significant snowfall as we speak over in eastern Mississippi, where we've actually seen some of our highest totals so far, over in the Macon area, uh, uh, Winston County, all, all the way north to Columbus. So we've seen we're seeing some snowfall still in those areas this morning. Um, is the is it mainly snow, or is it sleet, or rain, or a combination of those things? So it, it's mainly snow the farther north you get. There's a, a thin transition line. Uh, the transition line now uh, exists uh, from about Copaya County all the way up into Kemper County. But uh, just a few miles north of that transition line, it's pretty much all snow with maybe a few pellets of sleet mixed in with snowfall. What's the forecast for the amount of snow we might see? How much on the ground? So uh, on the ground in North East, well, in, in the Golden Triangle area, I think we've gotten a report up of about four inches so far. And I wouldn't be surprised if some areas uh, in East Mississippi or the Golden Triangle region could see another inch or so as the system moves out. So people in North Mississippi need snow shovels, and I bet very few of them have them. Yeah, yeah it's kind of East Central Mississippi near Columbus, uh, down Macon, Knoxville County. Starkville so, also in there? Yes, yeah, Starkville, maybe another half an inch of Starkville. This should be gone by this morning or certainly by this afternoon? Yes, by uh, mid-morning towards the afternoon, all the moisture should be out of the region. Maybe a few flurries lasting into the noon hours, but also the moisture should be out of here by noon. What does this do to road conditions? If the roads were wet already and then snow falls on top of that, does that, does that bode well for ice forming? So if the roads were wet and the snow falls on top of it, it makes it a little harder for the snow to stick. 
But one thing I do want to mention is we're expecting to get pretty cold tonight. So any uh, leftover moisture or snowfall that may make it around throughout the day, because we're not going to get much above freezing, especially uh, in the Golden Triangle region all the way back into the Delta and down into the Jackson Metro, we're not going to get much above freezing today. So there may be some leftover uh, slushy stuff on, especially bridges and overpasses. And with us getting down into the mid to lower 20s tonight, you can see some refreezing occurring, and that leads to black ice. So conditions may be hazardous tomorrow morning in areas that receive some winter precip today. So definitely want to use the same caution you used this morning, uh, tomorrow morning, and be on the lookout for black ice. And are we? I'm sorry. Are we looking for more precipitation happening tonight? Or is this, is this no it? more precipitation. It's all going to be residual. This is going to be it once it moves out of here. So so people need to be careful on the roads this morning and tomorrow morning, it sounds yes, like. tomorrow morning with the refreezing of what we got today. All right. Well, good good information. I so appreciate you being with us. Uh, meteorologist John Moore from the National Weather Service in Jackson. Thanks, John. Thank you. Coming up, the health department expands vaccination sites in the continuing fight to lower transmission of the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For gavel-to-gavel coverage of the 2021 Mississippi Legislative Session, watch At Issue from MPB News. I'm Wilson Stribling. Join me and our political analysts, Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones, as we discuss and debate the issues facing Mississippians and how they impact your state. Tune in Friday nights at 7.30 on MPB TV or listen to the podcast on mpbonline.org slash issue. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Coronavirus transmission in Mississippi remains high, with the state health department reporting over 5,000 new cases of COVID-19 over the weekend. Although vaccine distributions in the state is underway, rollout has been slow. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says the risk remains high for the state's long-term care facilities. We're still seeing a big impact on our long-term care facilities. We're still seeing you know, uh, a lot of outbreaks in, in nursing homes and other long-term care settings. And, and, and honestly, when we look at our transmission, we're seeing it just broadly, community transmission uh, throughout. It's not necessarily tied to, to those large congregate events or, you know, things like that. It's, it's person-to-person transmission really in all parts of the state. So that's kind of what we're seeing now. Uh, I anticipate that we're going to continue to see um, if not the same level of cases we've been seeing, maybe a little bit higher. State officials are deviating from the Center for Disease Control's vaccine distribution guidelines. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the decision was made to expedite the vaccines to the state's older residents. Our first release was really pretty spot on CDC, right? Um, we had a um, sequence of meetings with the governor, and, and and I think it's very reasonable. I think there's a lot of um, validity to this choice. He said, look, who's dying? It's people who are 75 and older and 65 and older. And he said, we, we, did, we need to sort of rethink this and prioritize our older folks first and then start moving down. So, um, you know, uh, that's where we are. But it, the, the medical conditions under 65 is in there. It's just, we just 
we basically just pushed 65 higher, one level higher than it was before. So in the in the AIP guidelines, six, uh, 65 and older is in is in C, one C. We bumped it up into into one B, so that we the 75 year olds. We're just right under the 75 year olds, just in that next level. So we can make sure that we we get them bumped up in the in the uh, priority. But the the folks who are 16 to 64 with those underlying chronic medical problems, those are still there. They're in one C. Vaccinations are available through the health department and through some private clinics and physicians. Dobbs explains how those 75 and older can schedule their vaccine appointments. 75 and older, how do you get vaccinated? Um, hospitals and clinics are taking on some of that, and we are have just posted the list of clinics and hospitals that have agreed to vaccinate folks. That list is going to grow by tomorrow. It is going to grow. Right. It's a fluid list. That's the, the first. First shot of cannon. Yeah. So, so you can see if your physician, your clinic provides it. It's going to be a list on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, but understand there's a limited number, so they may not be enough to accommodate. Um, you can also go to our drive-through sites. With the drive-through sites, we're going to increase the volume considerably. So we've done about, and it's been a pretty smooth rollout so far, but we're going to have done about 7,600 doses by the end of today. Um, which is okay. Um, we, we've, we've already doubled the number of appointment slots, and those are full. And so and anticipate those being increased, you know, another 50% in the near future. So, and even the week after that, even more. So there will be availability. Online is the best way to get your appointment. It's the most efficient way to do it at covidvaccine.umc.edu. Um, we have a partnership with the National Guard and a UMC and Department of Health. UMC helps us with the scheduling and the sort of backroom piece with organizing that, um, like I did with the testing, some sort of model. And we have our folks in National Guard providing vaccine. We're gonna to continue to try to make that more and more available in more locations also. So, um, so if you're 75 and older, look and see if your doc's doing it or your local hospital and try to get an appointment with us. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be an evolving process. Some of the state's healthcare workers are weeks removed from their first round of vaccines, and as much older residents receive the first dose, and are as more uh, older residents receive the first dose, an infrastructure will be put in place to ensure they receive their second in a timely manner. Dr. Byers explains the allocation process is specific and procedural to make sure there are second doses available for those ready for them. We get an allocation. And that allocation, either Moderna or Pfizer, is based on our population, which is roughly 1% of the U.S. population. So we essentially get 1% of the total doses. Now, some of that is taken off the top and held in reserve, and then our allocation is split in half. And they send us that first round as first doses and hold on to that second round and then send it to us at a later date that we can use for second doses. So... What we get each week is we get an allocation, a small allocation of first doses, and we get a a small allocation of second doses, usually a couple of weeks or so before that second dose would be due so that we can get those out. And so you can imagine the logistics behind 
trying to keep up with the first doses that we get to make sure that we get those out and then make sure that we get those second doses back to the places that we gave the first doses to in the first place so that they can make sure that they have doses to give us the, the second dose. And so you can, it, it's, it's, it's a much easier process, though, if they're separated than if we just get a big bucket. Health officers understand there is some anxiety about residents receiving their second doses. He wants residents to know they'll be available within the appropriate timetable. There absolutely is availability to get the second dose. Remember, the second dose is not due until uh, 28 days or later. So those appointments are going to be opened up for, for second dose when, it, when it's time for folks to, to start making those appointments. And we're going to open up the second dose appointment soon. Um, they'll be available. And that's how they'll know because you're setting them up for second dose. Yeah, well, I mean, what we're, we're trying to make it, yeah. we're trying to make it where when somebody gets a shot that they can go ahead and, and schedule a second dose. But you need to understand that, that our scheduling right now, as we, as we work to add additional capacity and more appointments, is, is fluid. And so, you know, what we're trying to do now is open up as many slots as we can for first doses. Due to winter weather affecting parts of the state today, the Department of Health's drive-through vaccination sites in DeSoto, Lafayette, Lauderdale, Lee, Neshoba, and Rankin counties will be delayed until 11 o'clock. Coming up after assuming leadership of the Department of Corrections last summer, Commissioner Brocaine discusses his first months on the job. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi Department of Corrections is changing some policies under the direction of Commissioner Burl Kane. Kane, who took office last summer, promised to deliver prison reform based on moral rehabilitation and skills training. Under his direction, MDOC has added seminary programs for inmates, and Kane hopes community college courses will be available soon. Kane shares more about his first months on the job and his vision for the department, beginning with the progress at Parch. State Penitentiary. The prison at Parchman's a lot safer than it was. Inmates are better behaved than they were. And a lot of programs are, are federally moving into place. And so we have funding and so forth. For instance, we'll open our uh, we'll open our first church at Unit 30 Easter Sunday. And uh, that's in the mill right now being done and the construction starts shortly. But that's that's leading us toward more rehabilitation because more people don't don't, uh, you know, cause you chaos and all kind of problem and don't commit crime. Selfish people do and immoral people do. So the basis for rehabilitation is morality. Then from there we have to have skills and trades. And so we have scheduled 1,500 skills and trades spots 
or reentry spots to be in place. We have the legislation prepared and will be introduced for the reentry court where the judge can sentence someone to reentry rather than the confinement. However, reentry would entail confinement, but in a place where we have reentry programs. Just met with sheriffs today and talked about once we get these guys trained, getting them back into the field of the sheriffs and so forth so they can hone their skills so they're employable until they're released. So I'm working together and teaming up with a lot of people because it's all of us together, not just one department that, that causes the reentry to be successful. You mentioned that parchment has been cleaned up. What about other state prisons? How many other prisons are there in the state um, that are under the state's purview? Well, we have we have three departments, CMCF and South Mississippi. Now, certainly we've not neglected those two, the other two, and we're working really hard there. The good thing we did is we started the seminary for the women prisoners, which is, and so there we're perpetuating more rehabilitation, and we revamped the one at Parchment, and we started 30 in that seminary, um, 40 in that seminary, because that's cool, and what you have is you have an accredited college that in Parchment and in the, in the women's prison that you get for free. It's a new Department of Correction, totally recreated, and also the other thing is training. We have to train our officers, and we have Dale Carnegie-type school being used for our middle-level managers because they need to manage the inmate in a calmer method as well as their subordinates so we don't run people off. We also are changing the food where we're going to prepare our own food. That's going to happen March the 1st. Food was one of the things that were listed by the government, the federal government. Also, they sued over the medical. Well, we changed medical providers, and we have first-class medical provisions now. We've ran our COVID in a really, really smart way because we've been in the, the least third prisons with COVID, and uh, our neighbors were higher than us. The I wanted to ask you. Had the highest level of yeah, I wanted to ask you specifically because inmates would be more vulnerable, perhaps, to contracting COVID nineteen because of the proximity to one another. What have you done? You said you're handling it well. What's made the difference? Everything that we could think of we we have we have not moved that's one thing we did not we stopped visiting we stopped movement we've used the hospital type industrial ultraviolet sterilization lights to do our kitchen and where people go and you sterilize it whether or not anyone there we've used portable uv sterilizers and hand wants uv sterilizers we've bought air purifiers the main thing is electronic sanitizing sprayers, which we bought from the company, and then with a contract that they trained the inmates so that we can continue to do the, ex- the electrostatic spraying without having to pay for the, the spraying itself by using our inmates to provide that service. Social distancing, but really requiring the mask, and uh, then we wear them too. And uh, it's just worked for us to keep it out. It's not been nearly as bad as it's been reported. For those who have gotten sick, are they treated uh, infirmaries there or are they sent to hospitals elsewhere in the state? I'm older and I had it. And so you treated the symptoms. And so I didn't go to the hospital. I stayed at home. I was sick for four days, pretty sick, but it was manageable. And so we don't have to take everybody to the hospital. And I'm elderly, you might say. I don't think I am, but my numbers <laughs> say I am. But anyway, uh, 
but they're they're not that unhealthy. This this community's not, and the one that's unhealthy, we isolated and we did when we had it. We isolated and we quarantined, and you might quarantine a pod, and it might be forty inmates in there, forty five that's quarantined, and so just quarantine and hold them right there and don't move them. And we also bought these deals that that you walk through. It's like a little canopy, and it sprays you when you walk through in and out. And so where we had the COVID. The people going in to feed them and coming out had to walk through that little, like a little tent that had spray all in it. It just missed you all over your body. We spent a fortune to protect ourselves because to not protect ourselves was not an option. We had to save them. You know, we want to dock them, and we did. You have recently lifted the ban on cigarettes in the prisons. What motivated that, and what's been the result? I, n- I never believed. And it, even at Angola, when I was a warden there, I would not stop the cigarettes because I didn't want to have to fight something in prison that was legal on the street. And I didn't want to require our inmates, our, our correctional officers, to be breaking the law and being written up for introducing contraband when it was legal on the street. It was a foolish thing in the first place to ban the cigarettes. So why do I need to chase something that's not contraband that we made to be contraband that was giving us the blues and spending all our time chasing something that was legal on the street? All I need to do is give them, don't let them smoke in the building, and then have them smoking in places where it doesn't cause us to have secondhand smoke. And you're American, you're free. If you want to smoke and get lung cancer, then I can't keep you from it. And plus, here's the thing. We're going to probably pick up another three-quarters of a million dollars from the profits in the cigarettes they're going to smoke, and I'm going to use that for reentry programs. Plus, I'm going to spend a little of that money for the cessation of smoking to try to let them who have the habit to cure the habit. You've told us a lot of reforms that you've made and are making, um, changes, cleaning up the prisons, that sort of thing. What is... What's most important to you moving into 2021? What's most important that you accomplish this year? The most important thing is the moral rehabilitation programs because I have executed people before. I know and see victims of violent crime. My job is to have less victims of violent crime. I want us to be a Department of Corrections that corrects deviant behavior which is what corrections mean, and not a department that locks and feeds. We have an obligation to the citizens of Mississippi to make them safer, not have a revolving door. That's what we're going to do. That is our goal. Commissioner Burl Kane, Commissioner of Mississippi Department of Corrections, thank you very much for being with us. Well, thank you so very much, and we appreciate and pray for your support because we're about changing corrections and making it like it should be and being a model for this country. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.